it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you start the show, I wanted to tell you about our brand new podcast called Tea Time. It's a bi-weekly pop culture show on the Channel 33 feed where me, Kate Hallowell, and Amelia Wedemeyer have four minutes in each category to get at our strongest opinions about what's happening in the celebrity world at large. The episodes air every other Friday afternoon, and you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Ringer FC. This is Danny Kwok, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer. I'm going to start with some very somber news. Argentinian striker Emiliano Sala, who just signed with Cardiff City from French club Nantes last Saturday, has been confirmed as one of two people on board a plane that went missing on Monday night. The 28-year-old had returned to France to say one last goodbye to his Nantes teammates and was headed back on a private plane to Cardiff to join his new team when his plane disappeared. Searches of the area around the Channel Islands have so far turned up nothing, and authorities are fearing the worst. But of course, we're all hoping for the best, and we'll have more, I guess, as this story develops. And with that, let me introduce my co-host, as always, Micah Peters. What up, what up, what up? How was your soccer viewing weekend, Micah? My soccer viewing weekend was fairly eventful, mainly because there were two, four, three games to watch both of which were very exciting. Uh, of course, of, about, of course, your Wolves over Leicester four three. There you go. Liverpool over Crystal Palace four three. Yes, 14, 14 goals in two games. Fourteen goals in two games, and uh, you know, like Claude Puel showing some emotion for once. You know, he had his head his head buried in his hands at the end of the game. Nuno Espirito Santo rushed the field as uh, Diego Yota. Uh, won the game for Wolves late. And it was kind of like interesting to see that the post-match interview where he was just kind of like, yeah, you know, I deserve to be sent off. I, I ran onto the field. It was just very matter of fact. Um, yeah, I just read he got he caught a fine today. Yeah. It was like 8,000 pounds from the FA. <laughs> yeah. But interestingly, the referee of that match who sent uh, Espirito Santo off was the same ref who didn't send Klopp off for running on the field uh, during the Merseyside Derby. My, my, it seems as though, you know, like different people have to adhere to different steps. You know what? Let me not, let me not even start because I mean, like, you know what? I think that both of those are fine. I really enjoyed Klopp running onto the field to hug Allison uh, during that, uh, what was that game? What was that when? It was the Merseyside Derby. Yeah, it was the Merseyside Derby. And he ran on the field and gave Allison a hug and Allison turns to him and he like looks really surprised <laughs> that he was just there. Especially I, if you can make it all the way out to the middle of the pitch on just like sneakers with no studs. I mean, like, I mean, I, deserve to be there. I appreciate, uh, you know, the outpouring of emotion from managers, but, you know, Bill Maher style new rule. How about just don't run on the fucking field? Uh, yeah, you know, like, sure, if you hate rainbows and $2 bills and um, free stuff, sunshine. Well, Michael, we did a State of the Top 6 in the last episode, and it's increasingly looking like a two-team race for the top between Liverpool and City. But the race for the third and fourth spot is getting increasingly tighter. And let's start with Chelsea, because a lot of the talk over the weekend has been about what's wrong with Chelsea course they lost 2-0 to Arsenal on Saturday uh, after the match Maurizio Sarri lit up his team basically he's in it in Italian because I think he wanted to be especially precise about his language <laughs> yeah he was just like I, I I'm gonna speak through a translator because I want you to feel each and every one of these hot bars that I have for my team <laughs> the key words coming out of that post-match conferences uh, our post-match interview is uh, quote his team is extremely difficult to motivate end quote it's starting to feel more and more like this could be a one-and-done season for Sari, which is strange given how well uh, the team started. So next to Claude Puel, uh, Maurizio Sari now has the best odds to be the next uh, Premier League manager sacked. Um, Alvaro Morata is set to join Atletico Madrid on loan. 
And it, what everyone's saying about Chelsea is basically that their two best players are playing in the wrong position. And of course, that's Eden Hazard playing up the middle and N'Golo Kante playing in a more advanced position than his familiar holding defensive midfielder role. So, Micah, do you think the fears about Chelsea imploding are a little overblown? Uh, and do you think Sarri has lost his touch or is too tactically rigid? Um, okay, so let me let me tell you like this. Uh, uh, Andy Thomas, who writes for SB Nation, has this uh, column called Tactically Naive, and he has he said in this week's that basically all of the top six clubs exist in two states, which is crisis and pre-crisis. I love and it. I love it. Chelsea is exceedingly pre-crisis at the moment, just because uh, Sorry's just very committed to this one style of play. And it is normally, if he has the right players to execute it, a very good style of play. Um, but he doesn't have the players that he needs to, I mean, like to enact this version of uh, this sorry ball in the English Premier League. There's also, yeah, I mean, like he is playing certain their two best players, like, sort of out of position. I mean, like, Hazard is still playing in that false nine role, and I, I don't know exactly what the deal is with not starting Giroud to have Hazard playing off of him as it was earlier in the season when Hazard was scoring two goals every week. Wait, if it's pre-crisis and crisis are the two states, then what if you're, like, Manchester United right now or Liverpool? That's, like, that's not crisis or pre-crisis, right? Well, I think that Maybe there's a third stage where uh, there's everything's going. There's well. just kind of like a sort of stasis because I mean, like if you're not in crisis, you don't have to talk about how you're not in crisis, right? Um, but so Chelsea's not actually in a crisis right now, but not just in, yet. But I mean, like they're kind of on the verge of crisis. I mean, like because it's it's if you have your your manager uh, after such a great start lighting into the team um, at this stage of the season. And on top of that, David Luiz's contract is up in the summer. Hazard has, you know, like has had his head turned by Madrid basically for the last three years. Um, he's basically got one foot out the door. But you know who's coming next summer? Hershey's own. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, Pulisic. But in, in addition, you don't really have... I mean, like you have Jorginho who can do the things that are necessary for Sarri's system, but is that your one midfielder? Is that the one that's going to turn the game on its head? Like, there's yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Sarri wanting to have the players that he's comfortable with uh, deployed the way he's comfortable deploying them. Hazard, as you mentioned, hasn't really taken to the Dries Merton role, Merton's role. Uh, I think that Sarri had envisioned for him. And now it seems like uh, Gonzalo Higuain is definitely coming. They're trying to get him, in fact, in time for this Thursday Carabao Cup semifinal second leg with Tottenham. Do you think Higuain uh, will be the answer to their number nine issues? I mean... I guess we kind of discussed this with Miles last time, but... Yeah, we sort of did. I mean, like, like I was saying... It wasn't too long ago. I mean, like it was exactly last season that Iguain was the top scorer in Serie A. Um, the last, his most successful season ever was under Sorry, but he really hasn't recovered from that game uh, earlier in the season when uh, Milan were playing Juventus, and it was basically like it it had the trappings of Iguain's revenge game, and he stepped up to take the PK and missed it and then got a red card. It was the worst showing ever, and he hasn't really turned it around since. So, I mean, it's honestly a crapshoot. Yeah. As our dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon mentioned, I think in his most recent newsletter, uh, No Grass in the Cloud, you should subscribe. Uh, Chelsea have kind of, he kind of likened them to, obviously not as, bad but the new york jets in the way that uh they uh, chelsea kind of hires managers and disposes of managers so so quickly but not only quick not only quickly replacing ma managers but not having like a sort of clear direction so ditching conte this super pragmatist uh manager for sorry who's a totally different style but keeping basically the same personnel and expecting it to work so yeah, and I mean, like, you could kind of see it in that second half against Arsenal is that even running down with five minutes left and the center backs sort of pushing forward, it was still just kind of 
drifting, like moving the ball from side to side and not actually making any forward progress. It's just kind of like a bunch of nicks on the, on the shield, but not actually piercing anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it, it, when you talk about pre-crisis, crisis, stasis, et cetera, it's like it wasn't so long ago that Chelsea was beating City. So, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. So it, do, it does seem kind of like, I guess, with any big club week to week, how we view them. But I think uh, it's kind of worrisome right now, I, uh, I think, at Stamford Bridge because of what Sari is saying and how uh, kind of jaded the players seem. So Chelsea are in fourth place. In third are Tottenham. And actually, Mike, I don't know if you've noticed on Twitter at all, but there's some Ringer FC listeners who think that we're a little too harsh on Spurs. What do you think? I mean, sure. <laughs> I, like, I, it's... <laughs> I mean... To anyone who's told us that we're too harsh on Spurs, rest assured that Ringer's own number one Spurs fan, Kevin Clark has promised us he'll join us on Ringer FC in a future episode after the Super Bowl because, of course, he's doing NFL stuff. He told me that he has a, a you know, color-coded spreadsheet, um, various <laughs> charts and pie graphs. I think that he's going to give us a, a very verbal dressing, uh, like an extreme dressing down on this podcast <laughs> once the Super Bowl is over. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. I don't know about you. Anyway, Spurs are in third on 51 points. They're nine points. Uh, off the leaders, Liverpool. It seems like just yesterday we were talking about them as outside long shot l contenders for the league, but now it's, I think, 538 has them at less than 1%. So in the midst of the, all of that, of course, they're in a bit of an injury crisis. Uh, Harry Kane was hurt. He hurt his ankle in the United match. He's out until March. Over the weekend against Fulham, Deli Ali suffered a hamstr hamstring strain. It turns out today, the news is he'll be out till March. Son Young Min is at the Asian Cup. South Korea almost lost today. Uh, had they lost, he would be returning to England. But of course, they had to beat Bahrain in extra time. So now they're in the quarterfinals where they'll play Cutter. Did you watch Spurs and Fulham? Yes, yes, yes. I did see Harry Wings come to, to Tottenham's rescue. Um, yeah, so they say he saved it from being crisis. So I guess it's just pre-crisis for Spurs. Well, it's definitely it's definitely firmly in crisis. I think. Uh, just <laughs> Wait a minute. We, we 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 just talked about being nice to Spurs. So okay, yeah, but at the same time, I it's it, you said yourself. Harry Kane is out until March. Sonoman is out for the next licks. Uh, I mean, like for this month. Sissoko's out. Ali's out. They just sold uh, Dembele, um, despite his fitness issues. And the next slate of games is not exactly easy. They have Chelsea this Thursday, Crystal Palace, who just gave Liverpool a run for their money this Sunday. Then they play Watford, uh, Newcastle, uh, Leicester City, and then they have both of the legs of the rounds of 16 against Dortmund, it's not going to exactly be easier from here on out for Tottenham. And they're missing, they're just missing a lot of, I mean, like it's going to be tough going. Uh, for I, the I take it you don't, I take it you don't have any faith in Fernando Llorente? I don't think that Spurs fans have any faith in Fernando Llorente. I mean, they do some that the, uh, the, <laughs> the glancing header he had wide open in the box to put the game away against Fulham and missed it. He might be one of the only attackers in the Premier League to have a bad game against Fulham all year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I don't have anything in front of me that you know, like, can support or refute that. But I'm, I'd, I'd say that's true. You know, Harry Winks. You mentioned he scored the winner against Fulham. He's gotten a lot of stick and a lot of flack. I've seen from Spurs fans uh, over this season in particular, but. Uh, he seemed to do pretty well uh, on Sunday. But, I mean, like, and I know that this is, I, I've mentioned this several times in this podcast before, but it really was amazing to watch Tottenham beat Madrid 3-1 with, I mean, a midfield cobbled together of not first-choice options. So you can view this as a considerable hill for Tottenham to climb, but it can also just be like another one of Pochettino's like successes if he manages to stay in the top four with this depleted roster. So yeah. This is where depth will tell and you know everyone talking about how Tottenham has bought nobody over the summer. 
probably won't be buying anybody in January. Dembele has left for China. It's the question. I mean, this will be Pochettino. I mean, they're moving into the new stadium, allegedly, <laughs> in a couple months. But I guess this will be real test for Pochettino to see if they can hang on because United and now Arsenal are back, are, are, are you know, with the result against Chelsea. Both, both, United, <laughs> both United and Arsenal are only three points behind uh, Chelsea and Spurs are only four points ahead of them. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's heady times, heady times at Wembley. <laughs> Speaking of Spurs and Chelsea, of course, as I mentioned, on Thursday, they'll be playing the second leg of the Carabao Cup semifinal. Uh, Harry Kane scored a VAR penalty in the first leg. Also, in the other semifinal, what do you think City is going to pull through? They're only, they got a nine goal lead. Wouldn't it just be the Should most they even play that amazing match? thing if, if like, if Burton Albion manages to turn this around, <laughs> that would be the greatest thing to ever happen in all of soccer. But yeah, I, I mean, like it's it, there. There is almost no point to playing a second leg after getting drummed nine to zero in the first. You know, today I learned that Burton Albion's home ground is called Pirelli Stadium, and that's where the second leg of the Carabao Cup semifinal will be played. Also, in that match, uh, City will probably be trotting out. All of its reserves, but Benjamin Mendy is set to come back. So, Ringer FC All Star Benjamin Mendy, you mean? Yeah. Refer to him by social, his full name. Give him the proper media, amount of All respect, Star. please. Thank you. All right, let's go into some Premier League news hits. Uh, first off, actually, this isn't really Premier. Well, this is Premier League related. This is but it's absolutely just... Premier League related. Soccer streams on Reddit is no more. Pour one out. <laughs> Apparently, there was like 200,000 uh, illegal streams that the Premier League cracked down on last season. And uh, the right? thread, which has 425,000 subscribers, is really the easiest way to watch uh, Premier League ma- any type of match, really, in any league in the world, easily. Yeah, what, what we're talking about here is uh, Soccer Stream subreddit. On Over the weekend, on Saturday, actually, the mod of that subreddit informed users that Reddit ad- administrators were about to ban it because of copyright infringement. And that particular subreddit, Soccer Streams, had over 425,000 subscribers. Now, if you go to that page now, you, they've already created some new subreddits uh, for Soccer Streams. But that main hub, which everybody that watches soccer used, is no more. And, and you know, it's going to be a game of cat and mouse because these additional subreddits or these, you know, like uh, different pages that they're creating are probably going to get knocked down too, you would imagine. But, I mean, the thing is, is like, if you have Google, you'll be able to find a stream, right? I mean, Reddit wasn't hosting the streams. It was just people pasting, copying and pasting where the streams were hosted. So Yeah, but I mean, like, there was kind of... Uh... I, I don't know, like just randomly searching on the internet is marginally less safe than finding vetted <laughs> links on, on a soccer it's on true. A subreddit where everybody else is trying to do the same thing and not spam you. It's true. The upvote on Reddit was a really good function for finding a good stream. Yeah. I won't name the other sites that you can go to, but, you know, suffice to say, Reddit soccer streams was a very useful resource. Are we encouraging piracy right now? Maybe we should just say No, we're just subs- appreciating that uh that uh Reddit soccer streams was too beautiful to to be free. Well, here's it's- another question. Here's a follow-up to that. What about NFL streams and NBA streams and MLB streams and NHL streams? Are those all going to get knocked? I mean, are we actually snitching right Stop now? Snitching. But it's- <laughs> Stop snitching. <laughs> is it I guess is is the Premier League I mean, the Premier League is pretty quick to knock down, you know, like Twitter highlights and things like that. So Maybe they're just quicker on it. Uh, I don't know. It's, but we can both agree that this is incredibly sad. It's a sad day. It's sad, but as I said, there are subreddit pages now, and I watched the second half and extra time of Korea Bahrain this morning through Reddit. So you can find it if you look. All right, let's go to real Premier League news. Uh, Arsenal news, we were just talking about them uh, being back for a week. Who's not coming back is Hector Bellerin, their right back, who's out for the rest of the season with a ruptured cruciate ligament. It's bad news because Steven Lechsteiner is now going to be playing uh, a lot of games. 
Yeah, you know, just he'll be or Carl or Carl Jenkinson. <laughs> I mean, like probably Licksteiner gonna be like we said on the last pod, bombing up the side, the right side of the pitch, and not tracking back. So good luck with that. Do you think, do you think uh, considering will that have your like a, entire defense is already a mess, it's now going to be even more of a mess. Do you think Bellerin will have like a customized off-white cast? I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. I mean, like, get, get, it's... get well soon, Hector. Uh, in other Arsenal news, long rumored now happening, uh, Sven Mislintat will be leaving the club on that. He was the head of recruitment on uh, the 8th of February after just 14 months on the job. This is like some backroom sort of Arsenal chicanery happening right now that uh, some fans are kind of alarmed that, you know. Well, I mean, like he was brought in to be your new footballing director, but I mean, 14 months later is still just kind of like a really empowered head scout, I think it was. That, yeah, that and was it's re- kind of like a power struggle. Gazidis left, Ivan Gazidis left for AC Milan earlier this season. Miss Lintad, I think, was kind of, yeah, like uh, rendered impotent, I guess, uh, in in the in that kind of uh, unrest or uneasiness, I guess, in the back room. So uh, it remains to be seen, I guess, who will replace him or what's going to happen. But, um, you know, with Ramsey leaving on a free at the end at uh, next summer, it's, Arsenal's kind of recruitment and transfer strategy remains, as always, unclear and muddled. Yeah. In other news... You mentioned earlier Wolves, the 4-3 match over Leicester and Diogo Jota, Jota, sorry, with his hat trick. That was the first hat trick for Wolves in the top flight since 1977. Great year, my birth year. Mm-hmm. Trivia question for you, because I saw a newspaper clipping that listed the most recent hat tricks for each team in the Premier League. So Micah, can you tell me who and when was the last hat trick for Manchester United? Hmm. <laughs> I love Micah's hmm sound. Wait. Okay. No. Because so it hasn't been anybody in the last five years. The standards have been incredibly low. If you, I don't know if you saw the stat. It's just that with Paul Pogba, Anthony Martial, and Romelu Lukaku all having eight plus goals, it's the first time that that's happened in like five years. Mm-hmm. Standards have been pretty. Low. I'm gonna. Oh wait, was it Robin Van Persie? Correct. Yeah. April 2013 versus Aston Villa. Shout out to me. I thought, Baldo, I, I did think it was Olympiacos, though. Shout out to you. I think it was, they're talking strictly Premier League. Ah, okay. I see. But I mean, that's kind of remarkable to think it's been six years since a Manchester United player has had a hat trick. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, think about what's been going on for the last six years and who we've been. I mean, like the quality of our strikers have been. I mean, like I love I love Javier Hernandez as much as the next person. I think that if I'm ever going to start coaching youth soccer again, I'm not going to let any of the kids touch the ball for the first practice and just make him make them watch like his off ball movement. But like. I I mean, like, there hasn't been anybody aside from, I mean, like, Rooney, who was always there, and then, you know, kind of dropping deeper and deeper into the midfield. Yeah, Rooney actually had a hat trick for Everton in between the time that Robin Van Persie had a hat trick for United. Yeah. But this is a good segue because I wanted to quickly talk about Marcus Rashford. He's probably the most likely United player to get a hat trick. He's got goals in four straight games, now has eight goals and six assists. Probably, along with Pogba, the player that seems most reborn uh, in this Solskjaer revolution. How have you been feeling about Rashford? I, I feel phenomenal about Rashford. The goal that he scored against... Uh, Brighton. Brighton um, was, uh, I mean, phenomenal. Sa- saucy to say the least. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's just that he's also been uh, getting a lot of pointers from Solskjaer himself. Um <laughs> Just connecting to him in a way that you can't with... uh, I mean, uh, is that really true? I mean, listen... I see people talking about it, but Solskjaer is basically saying, I'm just saying, believe in yourself. I mean, well, Rashford is well, obviously has been a a confidence player, considering that this was there the whole time. Um, Right. But uh, He's only 21, 21 years old. 41 goals uh, at 21 and 150 appearances. 
you know, the other two players that like are sort of grouped in with that, you know, like have scored about as many? Raheem Sterling? No. Uh, it's Thierry Henry and Cristiano Ronaldo both scored something like 120 goals in their oh, first oh, by that. The, yeah, by that by the by age 21. Right. I That's the crazy it, thing is that Marcus Rashford has so many appearances at such a young age. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but to, to that point, did you see this interview with Big Sam Allardyce? You know, talking about Marcus Rashford. Well, I didn't watch his Big Sam interview. He said, quote, it will probably be very difficult for Rashford to get to 30. He means age 30 because of the demands physically and mentally and the fatigue that he will suffer. Shut up, Sam Allardyce. <laughs> that's what I, <laughs> I have mean, to if you say re- about that. That's kind of the most sort of inflammatory part of the quote. He kind of has some, you know, support for it, talking about Rashford having so many appearances at such a young age and also being part of the national team setup. But yeah, it really makes no sense when you see so many strikers thriving at age 30 and beyond. Yeah, yeah. I, I Like, it's, what is any of that based on? Basically based on him just wanting to inflame. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he's got a lot of friends in him. He's just drumming up trouble. He just wants another job. <laughs> so what does uh, Rashford's success and I guess Solskjaer's reliance on him mean for Romelu Lukaku who is now basically just a 75th minute sub um well it's going to be either a fire is going to be lit under his ass and he's going to compete for his spot again or he's going to go somewhere else um those are really the options left to any out of choice player playing in any position that's true I had an idea uh, to run by you regarding Lukaku. What if he went back to Everton? Well, yeah, I mean, like, Shank Tosin didn't really pan out. They don't really have a tip to the sword, so to speak. But... Yeah, speaking of Everton, they are... Marco Silva, I mentioned Claude Puel, number one odds to be sacked next. Sari, number two. And now Marco Silva is number three. They, Everton have three wins in their last 12, and those three victories came against Cardiff City, Burnley, and Bournemouth. And I saw this tweet, I think from 5 Live BBC yesterday or today. Pretty damning. The record after 23 games at Everton, Marco Silva has 30 points and eight wins. And the aforementioned, much maligned Big Sam Allardyce, 34 points and nine wins. So actually, Big Sam did better after 23 games than Marco Silva did. Yeah, is that I unfair mean, like, though to compare them? I mean, because people were doing that with Klopp and and Brendan Rodgers, and I mean they did it's it. It's not just with points. Moyes and Mourinho, and it's always like it's it's not just points, but at the same time, you know, they made a good point in the football ramble about this: is that Marco Silva's problem is that he doesn't really respect better teams. It's just kind of like his game plan doesn't change based upon the competition, which is you know you can't really string together good performances like that without adjusting slightly for teams that are better at keeping possession than you are, better at attacking than you are, better at whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and I don't know. I mean, this is obviously uh, just a subjective judgment, but he seems kind of a little smug, maybe, and that's why uh, (laughs) I think people turn on him quickly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little smug. Are you just saying that because <laughs> just because he he wears cashmere scarves and top coats? Possibly, possibly. All right, let's quickly move on to the rest of these hits. Mohamed Salah. Ryan's not here to defend him, but is he a diver, Micah? I mean, you know, in, in as much that he is a striker on a you know, top flight team and that diving is part of the game. Yes. Um, the one against, uh, the, 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 I mean like, but the last two have been kind of egregious. I won't, I cannot tell a lie. Yeah. Mark Clattenburg came out. Mark Clattenburg, of course, the former referee talking about how Sla just had an incident in the penalty box against Crystal Palace over the weekend. Recently he had incidents with Arsenal and Newcastle. He said, uh, one thing I've, this is what Clattenburg said. One thing I've noticed is that when Salah goes down to try to win penalties, his hands go above his head. This is what officials look for when trying to see if a player has simulated. 
Hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, like that is a pretty good dog whistle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Salah tends to get a kind of a free pass from the media for the most part, but I know personally as an Arsenal fan, it was pretty infuriating to see him get that penalty call. Uh, I guess Socrates was the one that, uh, you know, quote unquote, made contact with him in the box. The Palace one was pretty egregious. It's something to keep an eye on now because with now that people are talking about it more, I think referees are inevitably going to be looking at it more closely. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure there, there will be more retroactive bans to come. Right. All right, let's quickly go over the rest. Ryan Babel for Fulham. Was that it? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't sure if you if they were, I mean, like, if we were commenting on the fact that Fulham signed a 32-year-old winger <laughs> um, to kind of change their fortunes in the Premier League. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the answer. I wanted you to comment on his hair first. Oh, because it's hot pink and mine is blonde. I yeah. considered dyeing my hair pink. I, I, you know, to tell you the truth, but yeah, I think it would look good. I think Ryan Babel looks pretty cool, and he was awesome against Tottenham. You know, I mean, like we were kind of joking about him being signed. Uh, you know, with Fulham needs defenders, and they signed Ryan Babel, but it turns out he's not washed. Yeah, I mean, like it was. I, he's. I mean, as much as we were joking, he hasn't been putting in terrible f- performances for the for the Netherlands national team in the lead yeah. up to this. So, I mean, it's kind of like the rebirth of some flair players or the or the second comings. We have Ryan Babel, we have Samir Nasri. We got we anybody bring, else? <laughs> I mean, I guess we could bring Ben Arfa. Ben Arfa's p- doing it in France, right? So that's true. No, that's true. Yeah. And finally, Ashley Cole. Remember him. 38 years old, he's going to the championship to play for Derby County under manager and former teammate Frank Lampert. Um, from from the Galaxy to Derby County. Yeah, sure. I mean, like you know, I, I when I first saw Ashley Cole to Derby County, I was I was assuming he was going to be as an assistant to Frank Lampard, but sure. I mean, that that, that might be his eventual role. Yeah, that's probably gonna what it's going to end up as, but. You know, as, as long as you can, I guess, do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no Premier League matches until a week from today. It's only FA Cup this weekend, including this Friday, Micah, a match that should be of interest to both of us. Arsenal versus Manchester United. Can I make a bold prediction? Um, you always make bold predictions. Yeah. The Soakshire win streak, it ends here. His first L at the Emirates. You know what? It's gonna. I'm going to make a bolder prediction and say that it's going to continue throughout... Into mid February, wow! Until the until PSG, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, we're gonna take a break. Come back, and we have a special guest to talk about Leeds United. Today's episode is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. This winter is a great time to check out Hotel Tonight. Whether you want to take a spontaneous ski trip or escape to a warm beach, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last-minute deals. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible rates. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell those rooms and pass the savings along to you. And... These aren't last resort type places. Hotel Tonight works with cool top rated hotels you actually want to stay at. Unlike other travel companies, you don't have to scroll through endless lists of hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at great hotels along with short profiles that have pictures and all the info you need. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last minute bookings. You can play things by ear or use Hotel Tonight to book in advance. And when you join Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. To start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And we're back. We're about to take a trip down to the championship to discuss the team at the top of the table. That's Leeds United and their eccentric Argentinian manager, Marcelo Bielsa. And for that, we're bringing in a guest. His name is Adwait. He writes about soccer and a variety of other topics, but he's an expert on Bielsa. So welcome, Adway. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So first of all, for those listeners who may not be familiar with Leeds United, maybe you can give us a quick overview of the club and why they're so important in England. So Leeds United um, were, I don't want to say an English powerhouse, but were a fairly competitive English club 
in the 90s and um, I would say early in the 2000s. And going, if you want to go a few decades earlier, they had a manager called Don Revy, who, you know, won them two first division titles, um, won them a couple of cups and um, really propelled them to a national status. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so their legacy over the years has sort of decreased. They were known earlier as um, a sort of a rough and tough English team who used, quote unquote, dirty tactics to win football matches. They were criticized outside England um, and globally in Europe, but that didn't really affect them. And um, coming into the modern era in the early 2000s, they had players like Mark Viduka, Rio Ferdinand, um, Lucas Radebi, Harry Kuehl, and even Alan Eric Smith. Cantona for six months. Right. Um, and they sort of created um, the Leeds brand as we know it. Right. And then they kind of had what a financial implosion. Uh, correct. So um, they went into administration, um, I think, in 2007, and uh, they dropped out of the Premier League in 2003, and they haven't returned to the Premier League since. Even after their administration, they had a lot of financial problems. As of the latest 2010, they had an Italian um, by the name of uh, Cellino, uh, mm-hmm. Massimo Cellino, who sort of purchased the club. But his personal financial problems outside the club sort of um, made him sell the shares, and they got another Italian manager in two thousand. Sorry, uh, owner in two thousand seventeen by the name of uh, Andrea Razziani, who purchased the club outright. And since then, they've sort of been on um, a steady step by step uh, uprise. Right. So they haven't been in the top flight in some time, Uh, and this year is when Marcelo Bielsa took over the reins as manager. So let's talk about Bielsa for a second. He's 63 years old and his reputation uh, is impressive. His coaching tree is impressive. When, how did, when did you start, first start following Bielsa and what kind of drew you to him as a manager? So the 2002 uh, World Cup, which was in Korea, Japan, is the first international soccer tournament that I started paying attention to. Mm-hmm. It was right about the time that I was getting serious about soccer. Um, I was playing a lot of soccer and um, I was just really interested about the sport, you know, how the sport is played, what do coaches do, what do assistant coaches do, what what the hell uh, are tactics. So I remember reading a magazine issue about the 2002 World Cup and it was a really, um, it was just very basic magazine issue where they sort of had like a section with uh, the fo- most famous nicknames. And I remember reading Bielsa's nickname as uh, El Loco, which is translates um, to Madman. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, un- unfortunately, Argentina did not even qualify from the group stage. Uh, they lost to England, and I think they drew against Sweden and uh, Nigeria. But that sort of stuck with me that, you know, there was this manager who was called a Madman by probably everyone in the world. And that's sort of when I first heard about him, I read his name. And eventually over the years, um, his name has popped up over and over again when um, I've gone back to sort of just studying football and reading about tactics. Yeah, because when you read about managers, uh, you know, the world-class managers in the modern era, Guardiola, now even Pochettino, um, Zidane uh, as a manager, they all kind of point to Bielsa as an influence. But what is it about him or tactically or overall that makes him so influential? Yes, uh, he sort of had modest beginnings in Argentina. He doesn't come from a football family. He actually comes from, I think, like a politically inclined family. But he started managing at the age of 25, 26, a classic case of a young footballer realizing that his or her dreams are not going to be reached at the pinnacle of the sport. They're not going to reach um, the top clubs. So they sort of take a back step and get into the coaching um, side of things. His sort of philosophy... In a way, you can loosely describe it as zonal soccer. It's interesting because he he has a heavy influence on tactics and a certain style of play. But even in this system, he has a lot of uh, he gives a lot of freedom to his players, and he sets up his teams uh, basically in three uh, lines of three players each with a sort of libero, um, mm-hmm. and that creates three diamonds on the pitch. So you have. Uh, the three centre-backs and a defensive midfielder form the defensive diamond. Uh, You have a midfield diamond with two wide wing-backs, a defensive midfielder and attacking playmaker. And then you have a forward diamond, which is uh, your three forwards and attacking playmaker. So 
So this is the sort of the basic, uh, I would say, structure of his um, soccer. And mm-hmm. um, this is, as you can see, like if you go back to Guardiola, the inverted wingbacks Guardiola, Guardiola used in Bayern can be traced back to Bielsa. Simeone, who played for him in Argentina, his defensive rigidity and his defensive positioning can be traced back to Bielsa. Pochettino was, I think Pochettino was given his start in professional football as an 18-year-old by Bielsa and um, was the centre-back in the 2002 World Cup. Right. He raised Bielsa as you know a mentor, a father figure. And um, most recently, there was a clip which emerged, um, which was Zinedine Zidane, before he sort of committed to being the Real Madrid manager full-time. He spent a day with uh, Bielsa at the Marseille training ground and just observing him and understanding uh, what his style is and what his philosophy is. Right. So let's fast forward to this season. Uh, Bielsa took over Leeds. They got off to a flying start. We should mention he was the highest paid manager in the second division. And I think you said making twice as much as the the second highest salaried manager in the division. Is that correct? Yeah, I think he he was given like a, a two million pound contract for two years with the option of a third. Um, right. And there were, I mean, the uh, I don't think that the uh, specifics are out, but uh, there were a lot of English uh, reporters and media saying that this is uh, at least fifty to sixty percent higher than the next um, championship manager. Right. So Leeds get off to a flying start. Uh, they basically have been at the top of the championship table the entire season. But things kind of come to a head recently with this controversy that's now known as Spygate. Uh, a lot has been written and talked about it, but maybe you could just quickly give us a primer on what happened. Sure. So Leeds United faced Derby United, Derby County two weeks ago, and Derby County, who are managed now by Frank Lampard, were in a training session and they found a sort of a, a individual who was outside their training ground um, just hanging about, you know, not really doing anything illegal by law, but just he was there and uh, this wasn't an ordinary incident. So they sort of called up the police. They said, hey, we think that there's some kind of suspicious uh, activity going around. Why don't you come check it out? The police got there. They confronted the man. And he initially denied saying that he was from Leeds United to sort of save himself. But as the sort of as the game got over and time progressed, Bielsa admitted to sending his one of his assistants to sort of spy or take a look at the training ground um, at Derby previous to the game. Right. And then I guess what was kind of classic Bielsa was in the aftermath, he, he held a press conference and that got a lot of attention too because he was kind of very straightforward about spying on every team, that every opponent. Yes. Um, I think there were... Uh, there was a couple of things that happened in this sort of Spygate scenario. In my opinion, the first thing is that um, the English media kind of blew it up because there was no precedent for this kind of behavior. This was never, there was no previous incident that they could go back to and say, hey, look, this happened, you know, um, X years ago, and this is why you shouldn't do it. This was the first time they were dealing with it. Right. And I think Bielsa was... Bill Belichick did it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my yeah, NFL knowledge is close to zero, <laughs> so I can't draw an analogy there. But in terms of English football, um, and the second thing is, for the casual football fan, or sorry, casual soccer fan, um, this might sound out of the ordinary, but in a very basic sense, it is not. Because, I mean, this is how modern-day scouting is done. Right. You know, there's a game, there's a video game called Football Manager made by Sports Interactive. And um, if anyone has played that, he or she she knows that, I mean, in a simulated game, you can get like pre-match scouting updates and post-match scouting updates, which tell you the position of the player, what the pass combination is, how many times they had the ball. So the detail of uh, analysis and scouting is not uh, new. It is just maybe unheard of for the casual soccer fan. uh, And I think that is what caused the uproar. And also on the second side, which is Bielsa coming out and giving the press conference, I think maybe it was a sort of uh, an incident where, you know, his feelings were really hurt because mm-hmm. the way the sort of the English press mocked him um, and Lampard sort of mocked him, former players on BT Sport and Sky Sports were, you know, outraged. Um, and I think it, it kind of hurt his feelings in a way that, you know, they were calling him a cheater and they were calling him, you know, uh, breaking fair play rules. 
So I think just to set the record straight, he um, issued a press conference and he sort of basically went behind the scenes and told the press and his colleagues that, hey, look, this is not me trying to get get an unfair advantage. I already have all the dope I need on my opponents. I scout them regularly. I We do right. film sessions regularly. And I also happen to send scouts to the training grounds just to see if I've missed something. So yeah, that, 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 that's what happened. I, I think he probably didn't anticipate such a fierce blowback initially because I think in the immediate aftermath, his response was kind of like, uh, a, it, it, he was mentioning that it was kind of like a cultural thing or it's like something Argentinian managers do or it happens in Argentina. And I think the English media didn't really buy that or were kind of more cross with him than he, he, he anticipated. And that's why he had to come back with the press conference. Is that, is that fair to say? Correct. I mean, see, Bielsa's, like, he, he's six years old. He's been coaching for like over three decades. Uh, he plays yep. by his own rules. You know, I mean, he yeah. quit he's Lazio loco. after two days. Yeah, exactly. He, he quit Lazio after two days um, because they didn't sort of, they did not want to sign the players he wanted. Uh, he quit Marseille after a season because of, you know, um, disagreements with the board. So he really has absolutely no qualms or apprehension when it comes to explaining himself or doing the things he thinks is right. Right. And Guardiola was asked about this. I think Pochettino was asked about it. And both of them said, yeah, we've done it too. It's not something new. You guys really are making a big deal out of it. It's it's not something that changes the outcome of a game drastically um, or something you can label as a cheating experience. Right. Well, do you imagine that this whole controversy could I wouldn't say upend Leeds' season, but everything has been going well so far, and they did just lose to Stoke over the weekend. They're still at the top of the table, but they're only leading by a point now. How? What do you think their odds are of being promoted? Uh, so the championship table is um, it's interesting. You know, the top six teams uh, in contention are separated by seven points. More or less, all the six teams have been in the Premier League before, uh, except, I mean, like, Sheffield were in the uh, league 10 years ago mm-hmm. and Derby County famously had uh, only 11 points in their last Premier League season. So these right. are six clubs who are sort of are itching to get back into top flight. Leeds obviously now are at the center of this conversation. I don't think it changes the outcome of Leeds season that much. Maybe there will be uh, an extra level of scrutiny every time Bielsa speaks or comments or is sort of put on the stand to explain himself. I don't think it affects the players or the coaches that much. They will sort of continue to move forward with the season as per plan. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was it was a good sort of mid-table um, interruption to um, the second division, which we you know haven't seen happen in uh, the longest time. Right. And so just to close out now, uh, you mentioned Bielsa's relatively or very short stint at Lazio and short stint at Marseille. And he, he tends to kind of burn out quickly. Do you think he will stick at Leeds for a while? And, and if they are promoted, obviously he'll want to manage in the Premier League. But uh, do you see this relationship going longer? I think that the relationship between Leeds and Bielsa uh, is quite strong right now because the current Leeds owner, Radziani, he is outspoken on Twitter and on the internet, and he backs Bielsa um, 100%. If you watch, sort of, uh, if you follow the Leeds United uh, Twitter and their YouTube accounts, they are, you know, they post uncut conferences of Bielsa, you know, immediately after every game. The Twitter, they, on Twitter, they sort of put up his, like, the main paragraphs from his transcript as soon as the press conference was out. And also before coming to England, Bielsa was, he, he did say that he was uh, excited by coming to England. It's been a long time. He's never been here before. So in this, in this sort of situation, if Leeds do progress to the Premier League uh, next season, I think Bielsa will stay. Um, I don't see any immediate effect that will cause him to leave. Right. But his first season in top flight Premier League will be drastically different than this championship run. Yeah. So he will stay, I think. But what happens after that and the season begins um, is uh, a question mark. Yeah, I personally can't wait 
to see Bielsa on the touchline next to Klopp or Guardiola or whomever. Anyway, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Adwip. No problem. Thanks for having me. And with us now, Shakra Saman. What's up, Shakra? What's going on, man? How we doing? How's life out east? Everything's great. This segment is called Around the World with Shakra. <laughs> Should we call it Been movers around and- the world and I, I. How about movers and shockers? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. That only makes sense if people know how my name is spelled, in which case that was a great line. <laughs> All right, let's just go uh, through this rundown I have. First, watchability rankings. We've had you on before to discuss the watchability rankings, explain the watchability rankings. We don't need to do that again. I just want to know with this latest update, it was just updated this past week, right? Yeah, January 17th. We uh, shouts to the math. My birthday. Yeah, hey, happy birthday. Shouts to the math magician, not the mathematician, Zach Cram. Uh, yeah, we, we went out and updated it. We have a new leader in the clubhouse. Oh, who might that be? PSG is the new most watchable team in the world, just edging out City uh, with a total score of 9.16 to City's 9.14. And that was before their 9-0 victory over the weekend, right? Yeah, I believe so. Because yeah. they were pretty dominant. <laughs> I'd say that 9-0 suggests that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's another kind of interesting thing. There's a big gap between second and third right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, first is PSG, second is City, third is Bayern Munich, but there's like a two-point gap in between, fourth is Barcelona, and fifth, the homies at Hoffenheim, just for some reason, just super watchable to round out the top five. Well, Hoffenheim has really quickly become the hipster team in world football. I'm here for it, man. You know, because they, wait, did you just say they're the number fifth most watchable team in the world according to this ranking? According to our numbers, the fifth most watchable team in the world is Hoffenheim. Uh, your Gunners are in 17th. Uh, United is up to 22nd. The last time I was on the pod, they were in 30th, which shows wow. uh, really the effect of firing Jose Mourinho and then playing a bunch of bad teams in a row. The baby-faced assassin's impact. Please respect him. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Liverpool, Madrid, and Chelsea are seven, eight, nine. Um, those are really the notable teams. Yeah, this is great because Champions League knockout rounds are picking up in a couple weeks, so we'll get to see some of these teams matched up. But that's kind of interesting that PSG is uh, number one overall now. Well, anyway, let's move on to like the real tables. Yeah. Let's go quickly around Europe. Is there anything? All right, let's start with pick a league. Uh, let's start with La Liga. Uh, so right now, you know, looking at the table, uh, Barcelona's in first by about five points. Well, not about five points. Five points on Atletico. Uh, they play each other at Camp Nou in April, and they drew in Madrid around Thanksgiving. Right now, five thirty-eight gives Barcelona an eighty-five percent chance to win the league, which mm. feels kind of high considering it's a five-point gap and they still play each other. Yeah. Real is up to third place after spending most of the le- most of the season on the Champions League fringes, but they're ten points back of Barcelona and only five out of fifth place. Hmm. El Clasico M- could Mourinho, be fun. Mourinho lies in wait. Lies in wait. Just watching from the wings. Also, Kevin Prince Boateng, uh, yeah, recently uh, secured the dream move to Barcelona <laughs> after playing literally everywhere else in the world, but Sassuolo and Syria, twelfth place are you, team. Are you a are you even allowed to play for Barcelona with neck tattoos? Uh, well, yeah, because uh, our oh, I guess Danny Alves. Danny does, Alves. Does Lazo oh, yeah. have a neck tattoo? Because he definitely played for, for Barcelona. Oh yeah, never mind. Strike bit. that. Sorry, Kevin Prince Boateng. None of this really sense. makes any sense, though, because I mean, <laughs> Kevin. You should. Everybody should read the Stats Bomb article by Michael Goodman. He wrote this morning trying to make sense of the 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 KPB transfer. And there's literally nothing that explains it. I mean, like he takes a large, like a like a mediocre number of low quality shots, <laughs> and I guess kind of defends for the front, but for the for the offensive output he has doesn't really justify subbing him on for maybe Dembele late in the game if you need to. You, you know what this all means, right? It means the Champions League final game winning goal. By Kevin Prince Boateng. Oh no! I was going to say that this was part of an elaborate, like Angela and Mister Robot style revenge plot to tear down Messi's idol from the inside. You know, he's <laughs> he's not securing a dream move; he's avenging the death of his brother. 
guys, uh, equ- guys, when you can <laughs> equally equally plausible. <laughs> when you have the chance to sign a 31-year-old striker who has four goals and 13 appearances in Syria, ah, uh, for a loan with an option to buy for nine million dollars, you don't turn that down. <laughs> he did score that really saucy one again. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like a, a heel. Clip I remember. And then, like, I, I remember. Snuck it in at the near post in the upper 90. He scores like he's good for one of those like amazing goals a season. Uh, speaking of Syria, it's Juve's to lose, right? Yeah, you know, they've got a nine-point lead. 538 gives them a 92% chance of winning their eighth title in a row. Um, their gap over Napoli in expected goals per understat is smaller than the lead they hold in reality, but this is as good as over. This is a one-team league the same way it's been for most of the last eight years. And in the Bundesliga, it's Dortmund still uh, still on top? Yeah, Dortmund's uh, got a six-point cushion over Bayern. But per 538, they're actually an underdog. Um, basically, 538's like, yo, you're the six-time defending champs. We're giving you a 64% chance of winning it all compared to 35% mm. for Dortmund. They still mm. have to play again at uh, Bayern in April. And basically, Dortmund's only loss of the season so far came just before Christmas against Fortuna. Before that match, they were the slight favorites to win it all. And since then, the computers were like, nah, bro, we we know what Bayern can do. Like, this one's this one's over. So Dortmund's lead as tenuous or as Liverpool's lead, or even more tenuous, I guess, is what the odds makers are saying. Is, is that a like a bat signal for O'Hanlon or for Chris Ryan to come in here? Is that- <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's keep going around the world. Uh, anything else to report here? We uh, AC Milan is uh, about to sign... Did they sign Christoph Piantek? Uh, they it, it's reported to have signed. I don't know if anything's official yet. I don't think the team has officially announced it as of two seventeen p.m. Pacific on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, thirty five million euros plus some add ons. He's got thirteen goals in nineteen Serie A games so far this season. Per, yeah, he started like a house on fire. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's been a monster. Per uh, the Guardian, he's signing a five year deal. And is essentially the replacement for Gonzalo Higuain, who's coming home to Chelsea because there's nothing more we love than over-the-hill strikers <laughs> who can't score in big moments. Shouts to Andriy Shevchenko. Oh, man. Shaka, how did you feel when uh, you heard me comparing you or likening uh, you to G- Gonzalo Higuain? I was, I was running around Los Angeles, as I want to do, and I stopped on the corner on the sidewalk, paused the podcast, and slacked you and said, if you don't introduce me every time I'm on as the ringer's <laughs> Gonzalo Higuain, I'm quitting. Uh, but as far, to my knowledge, you know, Gonzalo Higuain never played for the Tanzanian national team. I forgot to say that <laughs> Shocker is wearing a Tanzanian national team jersey. Um, so yeah, last time he was on the pod, he was only wearing a half-zip sweater, and I was just yeah. like, don't come back in here. <laughs> Without, you came correct this time. Yeah, you came correct. You I'm, came just, correct. I'm just going to come with more and more obscure articles of clothing <laughs> until eventually I'm just wearing like Lionel Messi's face on my face. <laughs> that got really so P- weird very quickly. Um, I watched I watched Face Off last week. Don't worry about it. So, so PSG is atop our, the Ringer watchability rankings. They're also a top legal. Uh, nothing new or exciting to report there. But what is exciting is some news I saw today. Which is that French side Marseille have finally secured the signing of who? Mario Balotelli. Super Mario from Nice. Super Mario. He's back. (laughs) After agreeing to take on the remaining six months of his contract, sources said on Tuesday. He hasn't held up the shirt yet, so it's not official. But how do we all feel about Super Mario in Marseille? I feel like this is his Perfect player for Marseille. Perfect player for Marseille. (laughs) Definitely a good step towards getting back into the, the Italian national team, which is, you know, like kind of been struggling for goals for the last three years. <laughs> well, partly because they just decide to leave all their best strikers at home. Yeah, basically. Um, Actually, earlier today, I saw that West Ham was in for a swoop to try to swoop Balotelli before Marseille got him, which imagine. is kind of funny to replace Arnautovic with Balotelli. It's like, yeah. I'm in favor of any move that keeps Mario Balotelli in just the international presence. I just want him to be famous forever. Yeah. Yeah. He's so wonderfully fun. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Uh, Shaka, do you have anything else for us Uh, around the world? Around the world. um, The only thing I can see so far is that uh, my love, Terry Henry, not doing so hot as a manager at Monaco. Oh, yeah. It's it's a real tough look for him. I mean, they did just pick up. Fabregas didn't turn them around? 
I guess not. Uh, yeah, they haven't won a match since December 4th, and right now they're in 19th in League 1 with 15 points. Yikes. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of bleak over there. Just to put it into context, <laughs> so far this year they've scored 19 goals. In comparison, uh, for PSG, the combination of Mbappe, Neymar, and Cavani have scored 44 goals. Yeah, yeah, not great when um when you know the the lead headline on your if anybody just searches just Google search Thierry Henry uh, <laughs> you know as soon as this pod goes up the first return is Thierry Henry regrets calling players grandmother a whore <laughs> which is not the thing that you want to be like Damn. the lead story. Well, maybe he should have taken the villa job after all. Yeah, I mean, Thierry. Expected points puts them at about 11th in France. Like the advanced numbers think that they're playing better than their results, but like we're halfway through the year and they're in 19th and they're a point out of 20th. It's, it's going to be tough to climb out of that hole. Do you think Cesc will stay with them in Ligue 2? I think, <laughs> oh, good God. That would I be a really he, bleak way for his career. San Jose earthquakes, baby. All right, Shaka, thank you for joining us as always and taking us around the world. My pleasure. I need a thing. And so. Mike. Yeah, we do. Me Micah. and Carmen San Diego. <laughs> Micah, thanks as always. Of course. And we'll be back with you in two weeks. Until then, peace. up y'all time to talk about hotel tonight again hotel tonight makes it easy to book awesome hotels at amazing rates they're like a matchmaker between top rated hotels and unsold rooms and people who want to book those rooms and hotel tonight isn't just for last minute bookings you can book for tonight tomorrow and beyond it's perfect for planners procrastinators and everyone in between find sweet deals at cool hotels you'll actually want to stay at go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now